Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, welcome. Let's chat. It's hard. You want to talk? I know, that's disappointing. Sit back. Let's work this out. How's it going? What are we doing here? Where are you going? I didn't come up with anything that I thought was appropriate. Did you? No. Let's just do this for the rest of the hour. Just us trying to come up with an opener? Just like trying to talk and then looking at papers and papers, sounds. I don't know. Uh, let's see, isolation, independence. Pride and poverty, crying out via exercise. Yeah, none of these are really fun topics. I couldn't find one that was fun at Medically all. assisted suicide. Hmm. I don't think we have an intro. Well, you know what I was thinking? Actually, I did have something. Oh. I don't know if it's an opener. Is it about chicken adobo again? Because there's only three ingredients, right? Four. Four. But I only... <laughs> Stop talking about it. No, um, that's what I'm saying. We should just sit here in silence because everything we're going to say is so offensive. Welcome to Trauma Bonded. I'm Ellie Westberg, and I'm here with Therese Garcia. Hello. And today we're discussing, this is actually happening, episode 299. What if your only hope for life was choosing death? A brief synopsis, our storyteller is born ill. She grows up separated, untouched, hospitalized, and fragile. She feels unloved and controlled by her mother. She finds emotion and hunger pangs. She only truly feels alive when she feels hungry. Losing a dramatic amount of weight leads her to being admitted to an eating disorder clinic, which doesn't help her. She doesn't have a poor view of her body. She wants only to control herself. She finds no joy in others or in love or friendship, but does take pride in independence and in academic and later career achievements. After being banned from a gym for looking unwell, she turns to binging and purging. She does this every day, has for years, and continues to do so. Her teeth fall out. Her hair falls out. She's had strokes. She has severe osteoporosis. Her jaw is damaged. She is underweight. She's in extreme pain, but she cannot stop the system of control she's built for herself. 
She finds solace in a Canadian governmental program called Medical Assistance in Dying, or MAID. Rather than suicide, she wants her premature death to be a state-sanctioned and medically supervised. Knowing this option is available brings her great hope and helps her to carry on. While she waits for her turn to die, she creates her legacy, builds an inheritance to leave behind, and focuses on a movement to recognize mental health pain as equal to physical pain, and to humanize those with eating disorders, to treat them as they are whole without trying to change or fix them. And full disclosure, I'm the showrunner for This Is Actually Happening, and I have the privilege to vet stories and conduct re-interviews before they go to wit for the final interview. And T knows nothing about anything. She comes in fresh. And this show, Trauma Bonded, is for the listeners, a space where we can talk about each episode, digest it, and reflect on it with empathy and also a bit of levity. That's Trauma Bonded. What stuck out to you is the heart of Anonymous's story. This was a heavy one. Yeah. I've got one word. <laughs> Surrender. So obviously there's when she makes the ultimate decision to pursue maid. Um, you know, an ending surrendering to her suffering. There's also her relationship with her mother, how she surrenders to her mother's control, appeasing her and sacrificing her own needs, her own wants, surrendering to her eating disorder. So this was an interesting one for me because it was both control, you know, having that control was about body image, right? Mm-hmm. But I think. There's a level of being controlled by it as well. There's a compulsion. She's been doing it every day for three decades now. And then um, I just thought, you know, surrendering, like, to her own sadness. and <laughs> So, yeah, that was me. Talking about her right. mother, she also surrenders her relationship with her mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine's also one word. Oh, I think it's kind of obvious, though. Don't do not do that like that. I'm not that happy with it. Oh, no. Um, validation. <laughs> she wants it from her parents. She's not loved. She's always a burden. She wants it socially and from a partner, but she won't fully admit to it. And she wants it from the state. She was born into this life ill and will choose to end it the way she wants. And she wants it for to be legal and justified and sanctioned, and that somehow makes her feel valid in her, her choosing to do it. I think it's a lot deeper than validation, but that's just something that kept coming back to me. I mean, that validation, I think of recognition. I think of being invisible. Yeah. You know? Um, I think that's that's a valid way of thinking about it. But thanks for validating. Of course. My heart. Ah, uh, where to begin? Our mother is sexually assaulted by her own father and isn't believed by her mother. Yep. Hence begins 
this need to control by her mother. And this is really, at least within this story, where, where this begins. Does it stem from wanting to protect? I mean, I think so. You know, our poor storyteller, she's born ill, like fully ill. <laughs> it's like she's already begun life behind, right? Um, she lives in the sphere, being ho- hospitalized. She doesn't find this uh, healing. And then, of course, because of her illnesses and her fragility and her frailty, it, as a baby, it really does inform, I think, her probably entire attachment. Yeah. You know, we have these perceptions of a baby and how they're supposed to grow normally and healthily and these these images of it being chubby and, yeah. and uh, cuddly uh-huh. and healthy and and sturdy you know we talk about like how you know then once the neck finds its own strength and can and you can hold your head up you know these are all ways that we describe a healthy baby and and a baby that you can you can pick up and hug and and enjoy (laughs) just the the painting that she puts out there is just this decrepit frail broken maybe if you touch her she's in pain yeah i think that's how she sees herself and i think as soon as you create that image in your mind that's how you began your life it's really fucking hard to undo that especially when it keeps being like confirmed over and over again by her mother so and um my little girl was in the hospital for a couple months right after she was born. She lost quite a few pounds when you started out at six. She did get really small, and and what we tried to do was just, even if we thought, like, and she was connected to all these wires. Yeah, I remember. I was like, don't not hold her, you know? Because right. maybe the wire will come out. But there's like, you know, a central line in. You do not want to mess with a central line, you know? Yeah. But still, it was like a very conscious, like, you don't want to hurt her, but I got to hug this little one so she knows she's loved. I mean, you and Gwen would put her on your bare chest, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. So she could feel human yeah. touch. Yeah. Skin to skin contact is so important for attachment. Yeah. But I can see it's hard, you know. We got a little baby that's frail. Yeah. It was it was a conscious decision to like hold her to make sure she felt that. And of course me and, you know, the connection between us. Yeah. It's possible. I mean, she doesn't say it explicitly, but it's possible she didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Which just like kind of reiterates every detail she's given in her story and just makes it so infinitely sad. Yeah. So not only is she unloved and untouched, you know, she feels isolation. Again, she says that she's denied social activities and attending certain gatherings. But 
this is also something that it sounded like it was half half was dictated by her mother and then the half uh, the other half was her guessing that's what her mother wanted and imposing that and then you quickly start to see yourself as a burden over a blessing and and she talks about having a dependence on others and it's like how much she hated these things about her childhood or herself she wanted to root out and she she does and then you know talks about her mom feeling like she was a possession to manage or take care of whether she expressly said it again or not and again we don't know but it was believed that her mom was protecting her frail kid and and this is her means of control and you know apparently she made her believe that she was too weak and not good enough to navigate the world her mom made her feel crippled even though she wasn't and that's so that she needs her and that she feels a dependence on her and i think our storyteller the things that she hates the most is being dependent and being a burden i think that's why she keeps to herself so much and i thought it was so disturbing and sad yeah, her mom would say, like, you're too skinny. No one's going to want to hug you. And then this but bitch doesn't like, hug her. Doesn't hug her anyway. Yeah. I'm the only one that's going to hug you and then doesn't hug her? What the fuck? And it's so sad to be to think of her being that child and to justify in your mind, right, that mom won't hug me that you have to explain to yourself a narrative around why my mom won't hug me. My mom won't hug me because it's to protect me because I'm so frail. The fact that she had to fake, like create a narrative because otherwise to accept that she just was unloved would be so horrific at, at that age, to, at that young age. You know, make your your head explode. You know, all we all we want, we, we just want so much to connect with people. But when you're young, you just want to connect with your parents. You want to feel loved and connected to your parents. And that's why, like we were talking about, attachment is so important for newborns. <laughs> if you, if if she could see her mother for exactly who she was when she was a kid, that would have like truly devastated her. So she had to create a narrative in her mind as to why she wasn't hugged. That is so fucking sad. I can't even deal with it. I will say this, and we can cut this, but I was at a comedy show with Gwen last night, and we were kind of waiting uh, for them to get get on stage. And I was just like, I had just listened to this the third time or something, but it was like on my brain, and we're at a comedy show. And we were just talking about our days or whatever. And I was like, man, I just listened to this podcast. And I started to describe it to her. And I think, I mean, she felt like sick to her stomach and sad. And she felt, it looks awful. And I'm just talking, talking, like describing. And she's like, can you, can you stop, please? You know, it's like, I was like, oh my gosh, like not, 
not the right time, probably. And also hey, not Petaluma, reading. we've got Bilbo Baggins here to do <laughs> yeah. his clown fart jokes. Yeah. And not like reading the Put room. Put your hands together. Yeah. Like not, I just, it was on my mind. Like it was, I mean, this yeah. was a really heavy one and I wanted to talk about it clearly. And it was a big part of my recent day. And like, she's like, can we maybe talk about this later? Poor Gwen. I know what she has to deal with, man. Did it put a damper on the comedy? No. Okay. We turned it around. So back to the show. All right. You know, she reiterates again, you know, she really takes pride in this time growing up when they were living in poverty she really takes pride in independence. She she seems to uh, follow her father's point of view about this idea of no charity. You know, why why do people hate being helped? I'm not saying everyone, but I'm saying a lot of us do have an aversion to asking for or accepting help. Why? I think that's why... Someone had said when they were giving us advice, when the twins are like, accept the help. People are going to ask if you need help and don't be like, no, I don't, because you do need it. Yeah. So that was a conscious decision because a lot of times they're like, no, we got it. And we just look at each other like, we're dying, you know? Yeah. Um, it's so, for, uh, for me, it's just so natural to be like, it's everything's fine, you know? Why? Why? What do you think that is? Where does it come from? I don't, I mean, when I, I mean, part of being an adult or something, when I was a kid, I was like, I need the help now, you know, part of an adult being an adult. I don't know. Why do you think? Well, you know, I think it comes down to you want to be perceived as having your shit together, you know, uh, people that can handle it all don't need help. But that's also a terrible idea that we can, that any of us can handle it all. Everyone needs help from time to time. I just think it's fascinating that we don't want to ask or accept help. It's also, it can be used, it's like a political chip. I think you're just trying to find a way to get politics into it. Nope. But there's this perception that, like, the safety nets that we have in place, you know, uh, from the government, that that those are inherently uh, bad in some way, that it makes people dependent on the government, or um, it's just, you know, giving money away from free or, or for free or keeping people, like, um, in a taking mentality where they're just abusing the system, like, all of these sort of like uh -huh. ideas or things that we've been socialized with. And I think that does just creep into our regular lives. I just think it's really fascinating because everybody, if you ask anybody, 90 out of 100 people will say that they love helping others. That's true. So if we, if there's so many people wanting to help. You should really match them up. Right. There are always people wanting to help. But no one wants to take help because they'll be perceived as weak or needy or uh, abusive, like taking, 
you know. Half the people who say they want to help don't really want to help, though, right? Yeah. But there's something about, you know, not being a freeloader, you know, like, oh, uh, I'm 30 living with my parents. Like, that look, that is looked down upon when really it's like, oh, my God. A lot of cultures, like, s- stick with their family for a long time. It's yeah. great for your wallet. It's great for the connection with your fam, probably, sometimes, maybe not. But, yeah. you know. But there's this judgment put on it that, like, oh, you yeah. failed somehow. That's why you're going back there. You know, I I moved in with my parents at 40. And it was because of a lot of different things. Um, I was still working a job. I was making good enough money to live on my own. But I chose to do that for a lot of reasons. And I look back on that year fondly. I got to spend a lot of time with my grandma that I wouldn't have got to. And she died shortly after I moved out. And I luckily, I was uh, self-possessed enough that I didn't, I didn't really give a fuck about what other people thought about me. But I think that just generally that is very shameful to see an adult person we we consider it a shame in america where our culture is very individualistic and we want everyone separated (laughs) but um you know we consider that a a failing on someone to move back in with their their parents that they've done something wrong or that they're not successful in some way um you know like thinking about this concept of help i think it's gotten to the point where to ask for help, you are very vulnerable. And that's why when someone asks me for help, including you, it makes me feel good because I know that you're having to be vulnerable. And I, it also says to me that you trust me. Uh-huh. You have a problem that you need solved and you're asking me to help solve that. That means that you trust in my ability to help you do that. And that means so much. And it feels so good to be able to do that for someone else. And I know what you're saying. Like some people might say they want to help when they don't really want to. But I think that it is a true form of joy to actually (laughs) truly legitimately get to help someone out of something hard. And that's such a rarity to get to do it for someone because no one feels like they can ask. And it really builds a connection, I think. And I think it's based totally. on that trust you're talking about. Totally. Builds that trust. And totally. now, you know, I want to help you out. Let's help each other. And all we're doing is, you know. I feel like that's happened yeah. so many times between us. Sure. The asking and the helping and back and forth. And it has, yeah, it has bonded us forever for life. Mm-hmm. But it's hard it, It's hard because you have to really work at that. There is a lot of vulnerability. There is a lot of trust. And there has to be a lot of communication around that. And if you can pull it off, I highly You should try. It. Yeah. You should try it, you guys. Who's someone you feel close with, you know? Feel someone, yeah. And, and you need help, ask for help. I guarantee you they want to help you. If you trust them and think that they might be able to help you out of a bad situation... Ask for help. They'll give it freely, I promise. And it will bond you. Anywho, I didn't expect that to go there. 
That's fun. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this mother's suicide attempt. Okay. It's interesting. And not to be so insulting the mom, but sounds like true happiness comes in in fur coats and right and jewelry and having a hot daughter i don't know i mean we don't know much about this woman but but most of what we've heard is not great <laughs> you know to blame the father and i think that's probably the most that we we need to talk about we don't know her we don't know her experience it sounds like she's awful um but it sounds like she's been through some shit too and and i think but the the biggest point about this suicide attempt is it was truly a turning point for the storyteller as you know as soon as well one it's devastating that she somehow thought it was her fault somehow which is terrible and then two when she finally you know when the mother finally expresses that she expresses that it's her, the dad's fault you know it gave the storyteller finally something it's like she saw her mother for who she really was and now she could dismiss her it doesn't add in her healing but it does take a negative voice from her and then it's like it transferred from her mom to yeah herself she really doubles down and she once she gets control back she really doubles down on the control of herself yeah i found it interesting you know she liked feeling hungry but the way she described it was she felt real emotion yeah and like went to extremes <laughs> she masked her pain anger and frustration she didn't let herself feel it but she could feel and enjoy hunger pangs. Everything about that is like it's not an emotion and it's not helping you live. But she considered it an emotion that made her feel alive, ironically. Let's talk about the way that she does live in extremes. I think it was interesting that you said in your heart you called it compulsion. I think she's very, I think it's compulsion too. I wrote that down. It feels like compulsion to me. Um. And and I just, you know, I kind of Googled what compulsions are, and it's repetitive behaviors a person feels the urge to do often in response to an obsession. And I just feel like that is her completely, you know, to literally exhaust your body physically from eating and vomiting, the, the kind of rigor that takes, the commitment. The time. Yeah, at the time. And it's this not eating and the exercising and the binging and purging. And it's not because I'm too fat. It's because my body is the only thing that is mine and no one else's. And, and the, it also makes sense that she's obsessed with succeeding in like school and, and being respected by her coworkers because that's her, also her mind. Again, a thing that only is only hers. I got to thinking about what we've done every day for the last two, three decades. Is there anything you've done every day for the last two, three decades? I'd say eat, sleep, drink water uh, every single day. Yeah. For 20, 30, 40, in your case, 50 years. It's like 
you know, for another one of those things, because those are things you do to stay alive, right? It's almost as if this is something she does at this point to stay alive, but it's like doing the opposite. Yeah. You know, she talks about when she was a teenager that she sort of took pride in like the loneliness and isolation and it motivated her in school and in sport. And it felt foreign or strange to her to open up to to love because she never felt it. And I think this is so devastating because at the end, she talks about like future scenarios, right? Like, <laughs> I might get my maid papers and, and I might live another 80 till I'm 80 or 90 and die in my bed and all grandma. And because I've met, you know, a partner on my journey and like, man, she wants love so bad she'll never fully admit it probably but it's something that she obviously desires so much it just makes me so sad wants i think and and needs she does as does everyone as does everyone absolutely right another thing i've done every single day is probably talk with someone yeah When's the last time you didn't touch someone for a long time? I don't think there's been any day. Yeah. I don't don't know. Lesbian. (laughs) Like COVID, you know, two days of not touching someone. It's like, does not feel good. It's so much a part of us that we don't even, like, realize it, most, most of us. You know, remember when, did I tell you about how I was, looking into jobs as being uh, a hugger. Oh, yeah. Pays like 50 bucks an hour to hug someone. That's not what it was called, though. It was like snuggling. Yeah. Cuddling. 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 Yeah. 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 And this is, uh, it's it's not sexual, you guys. It's based on this idea that a lot of seniors live alone and un- cared for that no one visits them or sees them or reaches out to them and they go a long time without any physical interaction especially hugging and uh this is a a service that is sort of part of a mental health package or taking care of the whole person where you would go and and sit or lay down with someone and just hold them for a time Which, again, on the face of it, is so fucking sad and devastating and depressing to think that this surface is needed. But two, that that how how important it is for us to touch and and be touched. Yeah. Um, Can you imagine having a physiological reflex to puke by just thinking about it? Like, do you know what that means? That's it's how, just a natural thing. That's how much she's conditioned her body. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's the it, it's just the way her body functions. That was upsetting in and of itself. Let's talk about the difference between suicide and maid. She she tries to make the distinction that suicide to her is sort of like sort of spur of the moment and maybe messy. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. maid or medical assistance in dying is passing on in a conscious way that's planned with no loose ends. 
So it's planned, it's peaceful, it's humane. You know, I think a lot of people, and, and she tries to address this in the episode, a lot of people would say, why don't you just kill yourself? Well, you know, she lists reasons why. But um, I'm still not entirely convinced that these are the only reasons why. I think that she needs to be validated by the state, by the nation state of Canada. I think she needs to be told that her suicide is legal and it's right and it's warranted uh-huh. and it's justified and her suffering is real and her suffering is justified. Her pain is acknowledged and a whole fucking big ass government said so. I think she needs that. It's important to her. And I'm not making a judgment about it, but I'm, I think that that's, I think it's important to her. I mean, it's a way to acknowledge that physical or, or, or mental pain is just as painful as physical pain. Yes. Yes. She wants that validated. She wants it stamped. But I think it's also about her control. Why do we all fear death? It's not just because we, or is there a hell? Is there a heaven or a hell? Where does our spirit go? Are we That's reincarnated? Not, do we oh turn God, to no, dirt? Are things going to gonna eat us? Are we going to feel it? People, people don't really care <laughs> about feel it. People don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't think people care about the afterlife so much as people know that death is imminent. It is part of life. And we want to know how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen. Or we don't want to know. But that's what we really want to know. And I think that's part of her. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm banging. That's part of her control. She wants to know when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And as soon as the government said, hey, we have that. And we're going to tell you when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. That's what released the burden from her. I think it's it's one-hand validation and one-hand control. Mm-hmm. It's like too, and when, when they approve it, let's say, she's like, "Okay, you've proved it." Yeah, but I'm still going to decide when that's going to be. And I too th- also think she realizes because her mom attempted it and didn't succeed at it, she realizes there's possible failure involved when there isn't medical assistance in dying, and the the controlling nature of her refuses to elect, to leave that up to chance and that's why she won't do suicide on her own that's bold i mean the way she describes it am i saying something bold i mean i don't think that's how she necessarily describes it right i mean she says but i think that's a good way to interpret it what she says you know but she says things like it gives me a full life. There's a beginning and there's an end. And I'm, but she says, yes, I'm leaving on my own terms. And that does have that sense of control bit to it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, I, I agree with a lot of what she's saying. I've said these same things before. I'm not interested in living some long ass mm-hmm. illness in a hospital where they're trying to fix me and I'm just like holding on to scraps. You know, that 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 doesn't interest me. I, I also don't want to be a burden. I also don't want to uh, try to be cured. I also don't want to uh, spend have all of my 
uh, assets and inheritance for others spent trying to keep me alive for a few more years, I also want to decide when I leave and how I leave. <laughs> it is my life. If it's not my life, whose is it? You know, I, I agree with her so much <laughs> on so many, in so many ways, but I don't think she's being honest that it is about control, validation and control. But she's also in deep anguish. No, I know. I know. I, I'm not, I'm not judging her. I know. No, I know. I know. There, there's no it's, judgment there yeah. at all. Yeah. Uh, but I think there is a sense of control there. But I think it's what we're the fr- afraid of the most. Yes. When's it going to happen and how is it going to happen? And a lot, you know, so many of us have just like, one, we're, we're afraid to acknowledge it at all. A lot of people don't want to talk about death. A lot of people think they can it. escape it. It's not coming for them. <laughs> um, but it's coming for us all. And it scares us to death to to know that we don't know how or when. Final destination. Yeah. Every every situation's final destination. Okay. Okay, medical assistance and death. <laughs> so I looked this up a little bit. So assisted suicide is suicide with the aid of another person. In the United States, the term assisted suicide is typically used to describe what proponents refer to as medical aid in dying in which terminally ill adults are prescribed and self-administer barbiturates if they feel they are suffering significantly. The term is often used interchangeably with physician-assisted suicide, physician-assisted dying, physician-assisted death, assisted death, and medical aid in dying. So I didn't know this, but it is legal in Washington, Oregon, California, New Mexico, Sorry, I'm looking at a map and trying to figure out the states. I think that's Colorado. Did you know that? I knew it was legal in Oregon from yeah. that documentary. About that one woman that was like 30. Had a had a die in Oregon or something. Oh. Is that what it's called? She had cancer, I think. Like brain it's cancer? It's been a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here it is. Here it is. In 2014, the death of Brittany Maynard, an advocate for the legalization of aid and dying, from brain cancer led to renewed debate in the United States over assisted suicide and was cited as being responsible for bills in several states on the topic. Her home state of California, which she left to reside in Oregon to access its Death with Dignity Act, became the fifth state to authorize aid in dying in 2015. I think it was based on that, yeah. Yeah. T? E? What do you think about Medically assisted suicide. I'm for it. You're pro? I'm pro. I mean, especially when you're terminally ill. Um, this one was a little bit tougher. And she she kept saying things I was thinking, which made me feel like I I felt bad for thinking that way, you know? Like, could, couldn't we... And I just go into fix-it mode, like she was saying. Yeah. So everything she mentioned, I was like, oh, my God, I feel bad for just trying to fix you and feel like there's hope for you, but I I couldn't help it. Yeah, same. You know, we talk about self-acceptance, and she truly does have that. 
and we want to root it out of her. (laughs) I know. We talk about like identity, right? Yeah. We want to tell her she's wrong and she needs to be fixed and there's so much life to enjoy. And she's like, have you lived my life? Yeah. No. Have you walked in my shoes? Like, not even close. Is it my life or yours? Yeah. I mean, it's tough, though. I, 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 all the time, thinking about my kids, you know? I, when she told her dad, and her dad apparently is a logical dude, and, you know, gave his blessings or, you know, accepted it, I just could not imagine saying that to your kid yeah i mean i feel like i'd be more on the mom's side of things you are emotional i mean i don't think i'd be control all that other stuff but like if if my kid said that i'd be like i'm i feel like i'm dying like you know that's how i would feel yeah and do everything i could to like try to save them to fix them yeah why why is suicide illegal, do you think? It's illegal. It's a sin. Unforgivable sin. Unforgivable. Allegedly. I mean, it's one of the most dreaded ultimate things you can do to end your life, end your own life. But what if someone is really, really suffering, and maybe it's not obvious to someone else, but they know it? In their heart, and their soul, their mind. It's a toughie, you know. I mean, she was convincing me. Everything I was thinking, like I said, she was, she had something, you know, really good way to, like a good retort, you know. Do you think it could be something that, I don't know, we could rationalize more with like an age of consent? Like, um... I think we're we're sad when teenagers do it because we believe it gets better, right? The the yeah. heaviness that a teenager feels that they haven't experienced more of life. There's a lot of life ahead of you at that point. There's a lot of life ahead. But do we feel less sad when it's someone 50? People were really upset when Anthony Bourdain did it. When Robin Williams did it at 65, at what point do we accept that someone is taking control of how their life ends, that they've seen what life has to offer, they've had a good experiencing of it, and now they want it to go? Are we are we more okay with that than someone that hasn't had experience at life? You know, Robin Williams was a depressed motherfucker. Uh-huh. He made it to, what, 67? Is that not good enough? It, it, we Do we chastise him for deciding that he's had enough? Like he, he suffered yeah. that long. He gave us all a great amount of joy. And now he's decided to leave. Are we mad about that? Well, not mad. I don't think mad is the emotion that I feel. Is it I, more I, sad that he didn't die of a heart attack or something that naturally just took him? That it was at his own hand? I think she's right when she says there's a little bit of maybe selfishness when it's the people that are left behind that maybe they care more that you ended it yourself. 
And then now you're leaving us behind, all these people that love you. But we all will leave people behind. That is the nature of life and death. Not on purpose, right? I mean... What if someone's really suffering, though? Of course. I mean, she convinced me about herself. And I I very much think that mental health is just as important as physical health. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's valid. I I think there's a lot of sadness around it, though. Well, death is sadness, no matter how it happens. That's true. But it's coming for us all. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it to my mother. But once she's gone, the world is my oyster. <laughs> well, you gotta think of other people too. Gotta think of other people too, Ellie. Yeah, but I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about them kids. They'll be fine. So you might want to chill out on them. All right. Do we have anything else? On a high. Let's end on a high note. Oh, and on a high. And on a high. Let me see. Yeah. I mean, this was a powerful episode. Be interesting to follow up with her after March. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously, I want her to... I want her to have peace and I want her to have rest. But there also is a part of me that really wants her to get, I think, what she really loves. And that's to feel a connection with another human being. I really want that for her. Yeah. If you're listening, I know it's scary, but be vulnerable. You were able to, on this podcast, just open yourself up and let someone in. It's awful, but it's also great. I don't know. That's tough, Ellie. I know. She's very empowered. Yeah, she's decided for sure. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because she doesn't mention that she's ever been therapized, but I assume that she's probably had to go through some medical or therapeutical evaluations and trying to get qualified for MAID. Um, but that's not something that's focused on. And I, honestly, I don't remember. Well, you'd, you'd think with, you know, treatment she's gone through with her eating disorder, there's a lot of that, right? She seems to be very skeptical, though, of all the help available in that arena. We're not ending on a high still. I know. So maybe we should just... If you have someone next to you... Let them know they're loved. And if you need something, if you need help in a real way, ask for it. We can help. We can help. We can help. Call Just us. Just email us. Email call us. us. Don't call us. Email us. Yeah, email us. Or Instagram. Just don't give up and know you're not alone. Thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Trauma Bonded. You can find our show where podcasts are kept. If you like us, please rate and review us on Apple or other places. Or we shout on Instagram. Thanks to Anonymous for sharing their story and giving us the opportunity to talk about it. And thanks to this is actually happening team, including Whit Thistledine and Andrew Waits, and the maker of our music and website, Nathaniel Francesco Tamboli. Thanks to Kathy Seitz for editing this episode and to Kane Capel for building those blasted Instagram posts. You can contact us at traumabonapod at gmail.com and find us on Instagram at traumabonapodofficial.com. 
or visit our website at traumabondedpod.com. We are trauma bonded to the story, to the storyteller, to the listeners, and to each other. Thanks for spending time with us today. Love you, T. Love you, Allie.